0: This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We have been working through a sermon series this summer on the parables of Jesus called Stories with Intent. Today we will end the series with Jesus' final parable before his death. Stay tuned for our message, What Have You Done With Jesus?,
1: What have you done with Jesus? The answer to that question is a matter of life and death according to our passage for today. Stay with us as we conclude our sermon series, Stories with Intent. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Almighty God and Father, as we reflect on your holy word during this time, Kindle in us faith, obedience, courage, and hope. Speak personally to us, O Lord, and show us your way. Amen. Our reading for today is taken from Luke chapter 20, beginning at verse 9. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And so he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they'll respect him." But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir, let's kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, Surely not. But Jesus looked directly at them and said, What then is this that's written, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. Dear friends, recently I was listening to an interesting yet disturbing interview on public radio. The interviewee was an author who had recently written a book about the rise of the nuns in America, nuns spelled N-O-N-E-S. It appears that many, especially of our younger generation, are drifting away from the church and faith. More and more people are marking nun when asked about their religious affiliation on forms. Basic tenets and doctrines are being questioned and set aside, this author said, in favor of establishing a more personal spirituality. A couple years back, I had my staff read another book that was similar to this one, and it described some of the thinking of these nuns. It said that Jesus and his exclusive claims are sometimes rejected in favor of a more pluralistic outlook. On being more open-minded, tolerant. So when I heard this interview, I wasn't surprised, just once again concerned, disappointed, and a little heartbroken. I can't help but wonder how God feels about all of this. People that are constructing their own spirituality, rejecting his son, or treating him merely as One of many great teachers, but no more than that. Taking on more of a buffet style of faith. Well, Jesus gives us a bit of insight on that as he tells this parable just a few days before he went to the cross. He's in Jerusalem now. He's entered and been hailed as a king by many on Palm Sunday. He has upset the temple and driven out the money changers. His journey to Jerusalem is over and the shadow of the cross looms ahead. It's Tuesday and by Friday, he will be nailed to a cross and suffering. On Tuesday, we find him teaching in the temple. There is some hostile opposition to Jesus. The religious experts, the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and elders, and other leaders now want to kill him, to get rid of him. So they asked him where he gets the authority to do these things that he's been doing. It's more of a challenge in their tone. I mean, who does he think he is to overturn the tables in the temple and drive out money changers as he had done earlier? And in response, Jesus tells this parable, which is, all too easy for them to understand. But Jesus tells it to all who are there. Tells about an owner of a vineyard. He rents out the land to tenants. He's to get a share of the fruit produce each year. But something goes wrong in this arrangement. Each year when the owner would send a servant to collect the fruit of the harvest, the tenants would treat that servant shamefully, even violently, and send him back to the master empty-handed. Year after year, this happened. This gracious and patient owner finally says, what should I do? I know I'll send my beloved son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenants saw the son coming, they plotted amongst themselves and said, here comes the heir. Let's kill that son and declare ourselves owners of the vineyard. So they drove the son out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, this is basically a a historical parable that Jesus is telling, more of an allegory. It's the history of God's relationship with Israel, his chosen people. He had chosen them to bear fruit to the glory of God. They were the vineyard. They were called to be a blessing to the families of the world, to love justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with their God, to be a light to the nations. But this was not happening. They were instead rebellious and disobedient. No first century Jew at the time could have missed what Jesus was talking about. In this pointed parable, God's the owner of the vineyard, the vineyard's Israel, blessed and called to be a blessing, to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. The parable actually smacks of the prophet Isaiah's vineyard song in Isaiah 5, where God laments his vineyard Israel that was yielding sour grapes, and he would have to destroy it. The tenants are the leaders of Israel, the kings, the religious elite. The servants are God's prophets that came to tell them that God was looking for fruit from his people, fruit of obedience and love. Each one of them was treated badly and sent away empty handed with no repentance happening or fruit of repentance. Of course, the son in the story is Jesus. We're reminded of what God said about Jesus at his baptism. Remember, he said, This is my beloved, my son, with whom I am pleased. The son's fate is described by Jesus and proves to be prophetic. Jesus knew what lay ahead in the next few days. He had told his disciples earlier he'd go to Jerusalem, be rejected, suffer and die, and he'd be killed. Friday was coming. At this point Jesus stops looks at his listeners and asks them, "So, what do you think? What will the owner do? I mean after all his patience and grace he's shown these tenants." It was as if he was to he was saying to the crowd, "What would you do?" And Jesus answered his own question, "He'll punish those tenants and give the vineyard to others." He reminds us that in this ending that God is still in charge. It's his vineyard, and he has the last word over it. Heaven forbid, the crowd gasped. That can't happen. And they were all, in all likelihood, thinking about how they were going to probably lose their land. Jesus looked at them and said, Then what do we do with this Old Testament verse from the Psalms? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It was Jesus' way of saying, You may reject me, but I will be vindicated by my Father. I'm that stone. This became a favorite verse to quote in the New Testament church. Peter referred refer to it in his letter that were all living stones built upon the cornerstone Jesus Christ. Paul would refer to it as well as a description of the church, God's temple built upon the stone, Jesus. And then Jesus went on to say, and everyone who falls on that stone, on me, will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, reject me and you'll be rejected by God. Jesus alone is God's salvation gift to us. He's the cornerstone He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. That's what he's saying. The parable, which is in all likelihood the last one Jesus told before the cross, what was its intent, do you think? It's an appeal to repentance, isn't it? To receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus is saying, you want to know where my authority comes from? My authority comes from God. I'm the son of God. Repent. Surrender yourself to my care and my rule in your life. And you will live forever in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus will be killed just as he said. But it was not a meaningless, accidental death. It was planned all along in the courts of heaven, even as Adam and Eve could be heard traipsing out of the Garden of Eden. This death would make things right. His blood will pay for the sins of the world, for my sins and yours. And Jesus was vindicated, wasn't he? By his rising from the dead, he's risen. He's risen indeed. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. The future of the universe is under his authority. And he has the last word over us. The crowds gasped and left that day wondering about this warning. The religious establishment knew full well. That this was pointed at them and they were furious and wanted to arrest Jesus right on the spot were afraid to because the crowd was so taken with him but soon they would have their way you see they chose again to reject him just as so many have since then and it's to their own destruction Jesus says But millions since have come to acknowledge Jesus as Savior and Lord of their lives and had their lives changed when he steps in and takes over. They've received a rich inheritance of the forgiveness of sins, a promise of heaven, a restored personal relationship with God, a blessed life of friendship with him, and a new community to enjoy and to encourage and love. He's the true foundation upon which new lives get built and fruit is produced that glorifies God. What about you? What are you doing with him, with his claims, with his calling? Are you rejecting him or have you received him? Because, friend, there's no middle ground with this Jesus Christ to reject him is destruction. To receive him as your Lord and Savior is life, a rich new life that he does not want you to miss out on. I came across this wonderful story. Barbara Crensavage insisted that clams are not a regular part of her diet, yet one snowy evening in December, she found herself craving an old recipe and so brought home four dozen quahogs clam particularly abundant along the eastern shores of the United States, between Cape Cod and New Jersey. Mr. Savage was in the midst of shucking the shellfish for dinner when he discovered one that looked like it was dead. It had a different color to it, and he thought it looked diseased. As he was about to discard it, Mrs. Savage took a closer look at it. It wasn't dead. In fact, inside the live clam was a rare, priceless purple pearl. Experts estimate that roughly one in two million quahog clams contain a pearl like the one found by the Kren savages. Some have estimated this pearl to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. They almost missed out on possessing this pearl. The pearl of great price. Don't you miss out on the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, who came to bring you into his kingdom. There is not only an appeal to repentance coming to Christ, but there's a word also of reality and a word of reassurance for the church of Jesus Christ, for those of us who follow him. You know, Jesus once told the disciples, a slave is not above his master, if they reject me, they just might reject you. In fact, you will be rejected and ridiculed and even killed possibly for announcing my gospel message in the world. And we think of the martyrs, even still today, upon which the church is built. And, and, and his call to us is no walk in the park, we come to discover, but a call to battle and, even hardship. He says, pick up a cross and follow him. Why? So that we might bear fruit to the glory and honor of God as we bring others into his kingdom. And while we may experience some hardship, we always remember God is the owner of the vineyard of this world and has the last word. The vineyard of this world is his. It's, that's our hope and our confidence as we serve him in this world during this in-between time, announcing that the king's son has come. He has done a great thing, paying our debt on the cross and rising again, calling people to repent and believe in Christ. Because someday the son will come again in victory and power and take his own to himself, That. Where he is, we may be also, and he'll judge the living and the dead, and he'll make all things new, and all will be well, just as God intended. You see, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him, the Son. Don't miss out. Receive him. I conclude this message with a story that Pastor Craig Brian Larson wrote a few years ago. He writes, the first summer that my wife and I were dating, she worked as a temp at a bank. In the first two weeks that she had the job, she quickly noticed some extremely unprofessional behavior among the team of four people that she worked with and their supervisor. The supervisor, who was a generation older, was very friendly with this younger staff, taking long coffee breaks with them. They'd sit on their desk and chat and gossip. The supervisor and her team were so friendly that the group's behavior toward one other new member of the team was a stark contrast. This person, a woman in her 30s, who had come on staff just a week before my wife was shunned by them. If she walked up and tried to join the conversation, the conversation ended. The the group, including the supervisor, made jokes about her behind her back and laughed at the way she dressed and rolled her eyes and winked at each other when she was around. Two weeks into the temp job, my wife walked into the office on Monday morning and was surprised to find a different scenario. No gossiping, no kidding around, no long coffee breaks. All the workers had their eyes riveted on their work. The previous supervisor had been replaced. The cliquish team addressed their new supervisor with formal business-like respect. My wife thought she saw fear in their eyes. The new supervisor was not a stranger. It was that 30-something woman who had been shunned and mocked. Turned out the bank had hired her to be the new supervisor from the first day she came on the job three weeks before, but the bank had concealed her true identity so she could observe the work style of the team. In some ways, you know, this situation resembles the coming of Christ to earth. In his first coming, Christ revealed his true identity and glory to his true followers, but to those who didn't believe, his glory was hidden by his humanity. One day he's coming again, though, to establish his glorious kingdom over everything. At that time, there will be no mistaking who is in charge. We know who is in charge. As we serve him, the time is coming when there will be no mistaking by anyone as to who is in charge. Let us trust Jesus. Amen would you pray with me? Gracious God, maker and owner of everything, we thank you for sending your beloved son to save us from sin, death, and the power of the devil. Help us to live faithfully, obediently, and confidently as we follow him. Amen. Now, as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over and within you to give you his peace. Amen.
0: You have been worshiping with the ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's message about the rebellious, disobedient Jewish nation has encouraged you to evaluate your life of faith and surrender it to Jesus's care and rule so you may live forever in the kingdom of God. Christian Crusaders is celebrating 83 years of ministering to the spiritual needs of the lost and those not able to visit their church homes. Our first broadcast was September 6, 1936, from the pulpit of Trinity Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Iowa. Eighty-three years later, our message of life-changing truth found in Jesus Christ has remained the same. We thank those who have helped support the ministry in this endeavor and all who continue to do so with their prayers and gifts. If you would like to join in our mission of broadcasting the biblical truth of Jesus Christ as Redeemer of the world and personal Savior to all who receive Him, feel free to contact us at 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa 50613. Our toll-free number is 1-888-693-2484. Or you can look us up on the World Wide Web at christiancrusaders.org. In order to receive greater benefit from today's message, be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter for short devotions on the sermon and insightful thoughts on the message. We are excited you are able to worship with us this day. The service has been led by our speaker, Pastor Steve Kramer. We encourage you to make a note and join us again next week when Pastor Kramer's message will be the importance of standing up for Jesus. Christian Crusaders is blessed to have been broadcasting biblical truth continuously since 1936.